Hey, welcome to your weekly Corner Spatey. And before we head into the main episode with our guest, Hosep, I just quickly wanted to say that this episode ended up being about four hours of content, and uh, a lot of which we decided was worth keeping, so we thought that we would cut it up into two parts. So the first part that you're going to be listening to is uh, primarily the meat and potatoes surrounding the Nagaro-Karabakh conflict, the blockade, and, and so forth. And um, the second part is some other, um, you know, other details that the Nargis Hosep wanted to, of course, share. So if you are not already a member of the Patreon, the link will be below. It is uh, five euros and whatever the equivalent of that currency is to you uh, to join monthly and you get all back content. And uh, of course, then a weekly bonus episode from your good buddies over at Corner Spatey. So once again, thank you to Hosep for coming on and uh, you know really uh, having a fantastic conversation with Kieran and, and myself. And yeah, join the Patreon and the bonus episode, the second part of this conversation, will be available on Tuesday. So take care and enjoy the episode. <laughs> Welcome to your weekly Corner Spady. It is me, Kieran, and I am joined by Nick. Hello. Sorry. I was taking a, I was taking a, I was taking, <laughs> was, take, taking a swig. That was an opportune moment. And we have a special guest, uh, Hovsep. Hello, Hovsep. Say hello. Hi, everybody. Yeah. All right. So we are we are talking about Artsakh, Nagorno-Karabakh, because this is one of those things that uh, I've wanted to talk about for a very, very long time, but also... We try to be a fun podcast and <laughs> keep conversation and topics a bit light, um, which may happen at points in this conversation, but also might not. And um, yeah, unfortunately, this week I was absolutely floored by a cold and a toddler jumping on my face. Um, so I'm going to actually turn to Hosep and recommend where, where do we start with this behemoth of a topic? I mean, it's a... Uh I mean, it can go way, way back. Um, I mean, we don't have to go all the way back through the history, but um, I mean, I think a good place to start is just, you know, what happened in September. Right. Um, so in September, um, so if, you know, there's the region, which is called Artsakh, mm-hmm. um, where Armenians live. Uh, there were 120,000 Armenians who uh, lived there. Um Actually, maybe it would be good to start with like the second war because okay. that's where this region kind of became, um, you know, I guess endangered, let's say, uh, or put in danger. Um, so there was the 2020 war, which was called also called the 44 day war. And what ended up happening was that uh, Azerbaijan um, launched an offensive against uh, the region. Um, there was then a 44-day war, and uh, Azerbaijan took over some of the land that Armenians had lived on. Hmm. Um, and since then, there had been kind of like a, a peace agreement, and I say that in loose quotes, like a sure. peace agreement, basically to you know stop hostilities. Um, but I mean, it was a very you know bloody war uh there were a lot of uh i mean in this day and age now with like technology there are a lot of um videos that make it to the internet and you know there were a lot of uh war crime videos the vast majority of which were azerbaijani and um yeah i think uh this kind of inflamed uh 
hostilities on both sides. I mean, especially from the Armenian side. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, anyways, so there was this, you know, eventually kind of like, let's say pause in the hostility. Um, the Russians came in and kind of brokered a peace. Uh, so they had a Russian peacekeepers stationed there. Um, and that held for a certain time. Uh, but then, um, in December of 2022, uh, a few years later, there was basically a, an attempt to blockade the Mm -hmm. only road that goes into Artsakh from Armenia. And there was regular traffic going to and from, uh, Armenia and Artsakh. And so to understand like the geography, um, Armenia is like, it's, you know, like separated basically from Artsakh. Um, and so there's only one road and it's a very mountainous region. So there's only one road that like goes to and from Armenia. You block that road, you block off access to Artsakh because Artsakh is surrounded by, uh, Azerbaijan. Um, undisputed Azerbaijan territory basically. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, there was, what ended up happening then was that uh, there was you know people trying to block the roads. Uh, then all of a sudden there was a and again loose quotes uh, eco protest uh, mm-hmm. that was you know launched, um, which for those familiar with the state of Azerbaijan, uh, a type of protest like this um, that does not get quashed right away mm. is you know it's not a real protest. So it's like they. I don't know if you'd say it's like astroturfed or something, but it's like, it's basically like something's maybe allowed to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, the, the state was like, okay, we're going to launch this eco protest against, you know, the Armenians closed down the road because of like some, I think it had to do with like, they were like dirtying the water because of like some like mine chemicals runoff or something like that. Oh, Azerbaijan really <laughs> cares about, yeah, you know, well, really have a dressing in front of like a the, giant oil rig. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean this, this whole thing went on for, um, you know, months, uh, and it eventually, like eventually it got like some international attention. Uh, even like, you know, the red cross was like, well, you know, Armenians could not. So like there was daily, like tons of food, medicine, like mm. all this stuff, because none of this stuff was like really being made in, you know, Artsakh, right? And there's also, you know, there's a hospital in Stepanakert, which is the uh, like main city mm. there. Um, you know, they needed to get their supplies from Armenia. And when this was blocked off, you know, that meant that like you had people who basically had to rely on subsistence farming and, um, just whatever like things they had around the house. So, I mean, I don't want to get into details, but, uh, if you're, you know, a woman, that means that you are going without certain, you know, yeah, sanitary equipment. Or if you have a hospital, that means that you're not getting medicine to treat, you know, your patients or anything like that. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, like there's also this kind of talk about like, you know, now with, um, you know, uh, what's happening in, you know, Gaza that like stuff cannot get through. Yeah. And this was like a very similar thing where it's like, there was literally nothing that was allowed to go through. Yeah. 
And this is also like so. What you were, we're talking twenty twenty two then, right around this time. Yeah. And there was also like yeah, the end of twenty twenty two. Yeah. And so I have a, a a a pretty clear memory too of them, just like the constant, um, just Azerbaijan just shutting gas off just all the time. They yeah. would just for days just be like you know during the middle of winter too and stuff mm-hmm. like that in an area in the middle of the Caucasus, the mountains. Yeah. yeah. yeah you know, just be oh yeah okay whatever yeah gas uh, gas shipments. Mm-hmm. Not happening. Yeah, and yeah. this this it wasn't just like a one time thing. It would just be over like you know whenever Azerbaijan was just kind of like at least it seemed like in the way getting pissy about something gas off, mm-hmm. and Europe wouldn't really report on it all too much. Or if they did, it would be just like oh concerns over this and that and that. You know, never like I mean the UN obviously would like make statements e- on it. EU loves being concerned yeah. about things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The EU yeah. loves being concerned when their when their newest gas partner, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, is yeah. Uh, you know doing uh, doing bad things that they just like turn a you know very blind eye to. Why yeah. is everyone with gas like this? <laughs> just why? I'm, I mean, an important part of that too is that. Azerbaijan could do that. And the reason why is because that territory, so that like gas pipeline that would, you know, bring in gas to Artsakh, originally Armenians held that territory. And so when after the second, you know, war in 2020, you know, the 44-day war, that meant Azerbaijan had, you know, they took that part of territory where there was this pipeline. That meant that they could just easily shut off the gas. Right. So you know, yeah, I mean, this happens and it would happen days at a time. And there were times where it's it was below freezing temperature. Mm. Um, and so, you know, you'd have people where it's like they'd have to heat their homes with like, you know, like, I mean, old cabin, you know, like gets get some wood, uh, make a fire. Uh, also with like cooking. I mean, imagine, you know, you have to cook over an open flame. Um, I mean, it made things, you know. I think it's like kind of a, to show like, hey, you know, we we own you, this kind yeah. of thing. Like you, we can do this whenever we want and no one's going to do anything, you know. So, yeah. My quick question before we start getting into the, the more modern things is then how does then this, um, you know, region of, of uh, yeah, how does an Armenian region end up in the middle of Azerbaijan? <laughs> how, how do we how do we get here? How do we end up in the sense of then the, the recent current events? Yeah, so um, you had uh, so I, like around like the time that uh, you know they were starting to figure out the different sort of okay where are all the republics going to be mm-hmm. and you know in the USSR they had Armenian SSR um, they you know they they drew the borders there and then they had Azerbaijan SSR and they drew the borders there and um, there was this region you know Artsakh which you know of course um, they knew it as like Karabakh. Um, they noticed, like, I mean, they had done demographic research and they noticed, okay, it's over 90%, uh, you know, Armenians there. Um, but they also noticed geographically or, like, even, like, the, I guess you could say topography that um, it was more economically connected to Azerbaijan mm. in some ways. Uh, and they also noticed, okay, well, I, I mean, it's been said, you know, I've, like tried to find out like the specific region like why did they like draw the borders this way and they said back then well there were shepherds who had their herds and they had to traverse across this like land mm. and so they didn't they couldn't like pull the borders of like Armenian SSR all the way out to there because they're like well it's you know this, this is economically connected there and this just wouldn't make sense and there are these shepherds and yeah. uh, so I mean it's this really kind of 
minimal thing. Um, but they, I think they kind of made a compromise and they said, we'll make this an autonomous region, mm. but extend the border of Azerbaijan SSR around it. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of people will make these, you know, they have these theories like, oh, you know, this was like a sort of pre-planned thing in the case of a breakup of USSR that, you know, it'll create this, you know, um, you know, war, I guess, between these people. And then they'll want to, you know, come back to, you know, uh, the USSR or or Russia, basically. But it it just kind of sounds like a typical, well... It, it sounds like it sounds it sounds like two things. One, when you draw these borders, it doesn't seem like a huge problem when you kind of take it a given. Well, this is always going to be the same country, right? This, the USSR is going nowhere, baby. Yeah, yeah, basically, because like when because you're talking about this is obviously done when like the end of like the revolutionary period ends. So we're talking like what, like 1920s probably, um, and they're probably just going to assume that like this is this is this is bureaucratic. This is administrative. This is like a, 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 this is less of a like existential crisis because it's always going to be the USSR. Uh, so it will be fine. And we can kind of like, there's hatred and stuff, but we can paper over that with the central government if we need to. And then yeah, these are just, these are just bourgeois chauvinist tendencies entering <laughs> our glorious Soviet these republics. These bourgeois chauvinist shepherds. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the second thing is always this like, well, the kind of inherent problems with nationalism where like you kind of just pretend everywhere is France and then there's like this clear because like the first nation state right because there's this clear line people speak French here on the other side they speak Italian or German or or, or, or like Spanish or whatever the fuck and it's like no nah, it's not really how like shit worked like of course there's like a pocket of like ethnic Armenians like in a sea of ethnic Azerbaijanis because they're like and like it's ignoring the history of France where like everyone who didn't speak, like most people involved in the French revolution didn't speak French. They just, you know, got rid of them over time. Yeah. <laughs> kind of thing of like, they spoke Basque and Breton and Occitan and whatever, but like, it's this very kind of, France's most famous leader is not even French. All right. Like, yeah. let's just, let's just, you know, like, <laughs> let's get that out of the way. France but, is a lie. Yeah. That's, that is what Corner Spiriti is trying to tell you. Position. But like, it's this very kind of niche idea of nationalism that like, by drawing a line on a map, you're just like, sort of, this is how it works. This is how the world works. It's going to be fine. Yeah. And not ignoring the complexities of like, I don't know, you have like, what the Romanians, the like romance people who live in Greece or whatever and stuff. Like no one talks about them because there's like six of them still, but like, <laughs> yeah, it's never yeah. as clean cut as people like to think it is. Yeah. I mean, especially like, yeah, I mean, it's like, like we've, we were seeing this in the sense of, I mean, you, you brought up the Ukraine war earlier in the sense of when people were figuring out that Ukrainian is not very wide spoken in Ukraine and there's Westerners oh. just like losing their mind. It's like, you know, nothing about anything outside of like Germany or Poland, like there past a, Poland or whatever. There was a, lot of that in march 2022 where everyone the entire section of ukraine that spoke russian was then labeled pro-russian i was like that's not necessarily true yeah 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 yeah. i mean yeah it it really is i mean yeah i think that that's that that's that that's one of the points is that then europe has these type of histories all over um you know the the caucuses are europe yeah Yeah, like i mean uh you know uh was it denmark uh claims schleswig holstein or something like that (laughs) there's this thing have it you know it's uh yeah i mean there are these things um so i mean like i mean that's that's exactly the point is that then it's like this is just one of multiple yeah we've got a a danish minority party in in the the bundestag because of this yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's never 
people pretend it's clear cut and if you live in the core if you live in like baku you can kind of pretend it's clear cut but it's like never when you go to the fringes of a country it's never that simple yeah and i think that then like um the we, we briefly talked about this off mic and yeah i mean like the destruction of the soviet union which was supposed to be like well you have your nation state you have a passport that's like kind of connected to this but um you are like yeah you're armenian but you're also a soviet citizen and this and that and, that. and like the, your soviet citizenry was gonna serve like you know was was far more important than that yeah, of yeah. the other one Again, like you said, because the USSR idea is gonna of it, it's going to last forever. <laughs> and then you have this complete disillusion. And it's like, yeah, there's just like, a, you know, the reason why they lost their shit, we will not go into it as we were debating also off mic of, you that's know, a, a whole, a, other, episode, whole other episode. But yeah, I mean, it really kind of like the 90s shows into the sense of like all the nation building that then a lot of other Western European countries had did in the what 1800s. 18th and 19th century and whatnot was all having to be like redrawn up again in you know the 20th century with then Europe being like yeah trust us we've done this before and then completely forgetting all the fucking bloodshed yeah. that came with all yeah. that stuff we just asked the Catalans nicely to speak French and there was no problems yeah <laughs> Yeah, because it's the thing, too, is that then it's like, I, I, I think Europeans themselves forget that their nation-building projects are, like, were insanely bloody, you know? And it's like, the 90s was just like, everything's collapsing, this and that and that. Nation-building is becoming the hot new thing, you know, this and that and that. And, yeah, you have nat- people who, just as was similar to Europe, scattered across, you know, this and that and that, who rightfully claim... Uh, these lands and, you know, their identity and this and that and that um, being, uh, yeah, in, in in the case of, of recent, just being literally lifted out of wherever they are and, you know, forced to go somewhere else or militarily removed or genocide, whatever, you know, whatever you want to, you know, put, put, put the label on for it. Yeah. I mean, it really is like nation building is chaotic. Mm. And yeah, I mean, I think that it's like it's always something that's just insane to me that Europeans are just like yeah, Germany just always existed. These these bizarre borders between like the Rhine and France, which don't ask why France is borders over there instead of what Germany probably thought it was in like the 30s or 40s. You yeah. know, <laughs> I mean, even the you know, I think like you can see that you know Germany was built up by like literally thousands of different tribes and i mean you can see well, it's, yeah germany, half germany's the neighborhoods in berlin end with a, a a w being pronounced in a different way than we ever pronounce a w yeah, yeah. also don't yeah, ask I mean, a german where they're from <laughs> because you will get a mouthful of oh i'm a yeah shut up i don't care gun yeah. to your head german citizen explain what a sorbian is right now <laughs> <laughs> you're, if you're from brandenburg you're not allowed to answer this question anyways i mean you know uh like back to this region, um, I mean, you know, there, like this region ended up, you know, being created. I mean, not like necessarily created, but like, okay, it more or less like fell under like the, you know, um, or was part of like the USSR, mm. recognized as an autonomous region. Um, and yeah, and I mean, you know, it's not to say that like, okay, after that or during this time that everything was like completely peaceful. Absolutely mm. not. Um, like in this one city, Shushi, um, which I mean is in Karabakh, uh, there was a huge massacre in 1920. And to put that around the time of when the Armenian genocide was also happening in the Ottoman Empire, Hmm. um, I mean, it's just, you know, you did have a lot of bloodshed then too. 
Um, there was also uh, an incident uh, in Baku where, uh, yeah, I mean, the uh, Ottomans, the Ottoman Turks came in and just laid wholesale slaughter against the Armenians as kind of a sort of reprisal to um, I'm basically an Armenian massacre against, you know, uh, Azerbaijanis. Um, so, I mean, like there was a lot of this like bloodshed happening then too. Hmm. Um, I mean, later though, like if we fast forward to, I mean, you know, 1988, that sure. is when, you know, the first, um, you know, pogroms started happening. I think like kind of the cracks in the armor of the USSR as a, you know, sort of like, I mean, grander, like, state, let's say, started forming. Um, you know, there were demonstrations in Armenia around that time, like, between 1988 and 1992. Because uh, there was this movement uh, called the Miatsum movement, and Miatsum means, like, you know, like, united. Um, and there was this sense of, like, you know, I mean, people know the history, and, you know, Artsakh as a region is uh, incredibly valuable to Armenian heritage and, like, you know, the understanding of, like, Armenian culture because mm-hmm. there is just such rich history there. Um, I mean, the, you know, Armenian alphabet was basically created and, like, had its, like, first instruction there mm-hmm. um, way back in, like, the, I think, like, 4th century right. AD. Um, you know, there's also, like, the one of the apostles who brought um christianity to the armenians is you know buried under a monastery uh in artsakh as well under um the altar in darivank um and i mean you have like literally if you look at a map like you can find it online there are literally like hundreds of different sort of like armenian cultural monuments there you know and so the thing is like it's you have armenia proper yes that's true but Artsakh as like, you know, what it means to like Armenian culture and history. It's it's just so dense. It's, you know, it's rich. And so I think that's kind of the reason why a lot of Armenians respond to this. Um, you know, what happened in this like in these last years with like kind of, you know, horror and, you know, seeing what Azerbaijan's doing with it now um, is because of that is because it feels like, you know, we're losing these um, like precious artifacts, these, you know, cultural touchstones these uh this history Hmm. um because it is really easy for them to commit you know what is termed as like cultural genocide you know more or less like destroy all these things say they never existed or reappropriate them and claim that you know they belong to them yeah and uh, something that that i've also very much kind of i mean you mentioned very briefly the armenian genocide which um you know does play a lot into this too i think that i mean we're not gonna you know we're not gonna talk about you know hey let me know about like can, different can, episode again yeah <laughs> can you describe can you describe that that thing of you know uh, um why uh so many armenians live in the united states <laughs> or yeah. uh you know or or russia or or yeah, france exactly or um france, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah um those I mean, are like those are the three big yeah three main diasporas yeah, yeah. Um, why did my family move from turkey to the united states as well as a greek person i will never <laughs> find out but yeah no, but I mean, in 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 um, like the thing that then kind of I've always found that's that's even more interesting with the sense of then kind of like you know stepping into like the more modern you know you mentioned like cultural genocide is exactly what this is regardless in the sense of just like the actual killing of people as well too that then has the kind blockade, of come yeah, and the blockades and yeah. such like that um, is that then it kind of feels even odder coming from um, 
like the politics of Azerbaijan are incredibly weird because like uh, Aliyev is like a dictator who's kind of more or less just like dictated not even by himself it feels like more of just from like that we've always joked that then like Azerbaijan is like a Turkish satellite state in some cases and um there is like this really kind of interesting thing that kind of folds into it where then it's like Azerbaijan's actions of recent you know uh, uh obviously of course most supported by you know biggest allies Turkey no surprise there. Um, very, very good relationships with 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 you know the EU and and all the other allies of Turkey and NATO and such like that. Israel, yeah. Um, yeah, Israel too. And the thing that then is just so odd is that then how um, maybe uh, if if you're aware of this or not is that then like like Turkey then just kind of getting really horny for the idea then of just like like testing things on this region as well too, which was like also just. Um, I like the the, the Bayraktar systems that everyone was thrilled about during the Ukraine war was Turkey's excuse to then use, you know, the continuate, like, I mean, what they probably view then as the continuation of the Armenian genocide, at least I'm going to be very upfront and just say that I think Turkey's interest in this is a bit more, you know, there's a fervor and there's an ideology behind the Erdogan regime as well, too. And, um... Like, how, like, I, I guess the question that then I'm kind of getting to is that then has this relationship worsened over years then because of then Erdogan's kind of like, um, it's very weird to be talking about a country that then is like not directly involved with it, but I feel that then it's like Armenia is just there for then like, you know, Europe and, and whoever to get gas from and, you know, they're a dictator that then we don't want to pretend. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, sorry. Yeah, Azerbaijan. Sorry, is a dictatorship that, that we don't want to pretend that we're really good friends with and has a shit ton of human rights violations. But we get gas. That's fine. We can like you know like we we, we sell weapons to them. That's also fine. Um, but it seems like it's not even like an actual dictatorship. Like you know, I mean, it is very much like there's no political. You mentioned the the protests that were like faked or faked. Not faked is the wrong word. Um, astroturfed. That's the better word. I mean, I, I would say they they yeah, were they were fake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, like yeah. those those people. If you ask, if you took them like aside one by one and said like, okay, like, Why are hey, you here? like, hey, can you tell me like well, how this is harming the environment? They'd be like, oh, I don't know. I'm just well, I'm just it, getting paid to be here. You I mean, know? yeah. The, the, the Armenia, like, like, sorry, not Armenia. Azerbaijan does do this, which is like insane. Um, it's, the, it's it's the it's the it's the hole I always poke into like the recent UFO stuff from the states of like, oh, there's this guy from the military and he's a whistleblower. It's like, okay, why isn't he be treated like Chelsea Manning? Like, why isn't he going yeah. into solitary confinement for, like, five gajillion years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they don't allow military whistleblowers to exist. Like, yeah, why they don't is, allow protests in Azerbaijan. Yeah, why why are you on the street? Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, um, yeah how, how, how is then, like, it feels really weird to ask, though, again, very long thing. How is then the current regime of Turkey influenced this scenario in Azerbaijan? Because from at least my perspective, the more zealous Turkey has become in terms of their, you know, the, the, the greater Ottoman project of the AKP, this and that, which they do not shy about. Yeah. Usually um, you write it at the Kurds. Yeah. Or whoever yeah. else is the flavor of the week of who they hate. But yeah, yeah you know, um, like one of the most ironic things is the, like, the pro-Palestinian stance that, like, Turkey has and the AKP, but they hate Arabs, mm. which is, like, one of the oddest ones. But yeah, so, like, how... Um, 
has there been like a, like like an empowerment of then this type of ideology of Aliyev and all this kind of stuff because of then like this NATO member, it feels like Turkey getting a, like kind of puffing its chest out a little bit, kind of like feeling itself, especially after the Ukraine or after during the Ukraine war, which we're still in, Turkey's position geopolitically is like all over the place. And I just, I don't know. I, my, my interpretation of this is always kind of be as like, I'm going, to, I'm going to try to put this question very succinctly because you did talk about this in some of the notes and so on. And it's like, basically, what is the geopolitical relationships of Azerbaijan relating to the West, to Turkey, to Russia that basically allows it to get away with this? Yeah, thank you, As Kieran. much as they've yeah. got. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, you know, I, I think first off, I would start with, uh, you know, I mean, Azerbaijan is a country that exports uh a lot of oil and mm. gas. I mean, 95, over 95% of its exports are what are called energy products. Right. That means oil and gas. And um, so, I mean, it's, it's more like an oil company that is a state. And there's a reason why they call, you know, it a, you know, petro dictatorship. Yeah. You know, it's because like, it's, um, that's just like, that's just what they have to offer more or less. Um, I mean, they have, you know, other like agricultural things that they export to, of course, um, but not nearly in like, you know, as you know, large of a mass or like I mean, quantity as like oil and gas. I you know? remember classic care on stuff. I remember the last time they hosted the Eurovision and like, that was really the, like, I think one of the first times they really tried to become like, we're also a tourist destination, right? Baku. And like the symbol that they used was fire. And it just constantly reminded everyone of oil rigs, like the burn off from an oil rig. Like, yeah, I mean that that's their you know slogan, "Land of Fire." Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's it's and I some I I read somewhere, and I don't know how true this is, but mm. it's just like someone was saying, like, yeah, like no, you can technically like ignite the land on fire. That's why it's called Land of Fire because it there's just so much oil <laughs> there or something though. like that. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be like that um that thing that's in uh is it Turkmenistan that uh there's like that hole in the ground. Oh it's yeah like that just it just fire or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It will not stop burning. Yeah. Yeah. Um I mean not like that, but it's yeah. Um I think also what's important to realize is that if you have a petro dictatorship, that means you have a lot of you know, influence. Everyone wants what you have. Mm. Um, and that also means you have lobbyists everywhere. You can pay lobbyists do. everywhere. And, uh, you know, I mean, we've seen the news stories in the last several years that have come out of, you know, actually technically even like the last decade in, you know, Europe about like the last European days. MPs, also mm. the last days, you know, uh, being bribed, Yeah. Mm. you know, and so, and I mean, like, this is also something that was revealed in the, um, I think it's like the OCCRP report yeah. about there being this multi-billion dollar slush fund that Azerbaijan has to, you know, basically curry interest or with, um, journalists, with, you know, foreign politicians, I mean, everywhere, like no, no place is safe, you know, necessarily from this you know, yeah. this money, let's yeah, say. Yeah, there was a, an exchange for voting in, uh, um, bribing two German MPs for, uh, uh, an exchange for, ru- like, ruling or voting in Baku's favor in the Council of Europe, which is 
a big human rights organization within Europe. Uh, um, yes, do you remember from the CSU, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, uh, um, uh, and there was also Pikachu the shocked dot meme. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there was yeah, uh, there was also the one lady who died. Oh, oh Karen Strunz, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is kind of a weird story, but. But what, I mean, one thing that I don't say I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying that our uh, Azerbaijan killed her, but she's involved in the Azerbaijan scandal and she died in a plane crash or something like that. Very she died random. on board, like the plane was yeah. fine. Oh yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Sorry, yeah, the plane was fine. She died on board. Mysterious. I, I, I mean, one thing that kind of irks me though is that you have all these articles that come out, but still it feels like no one talks about it. I think it's the, still really like kind of swept under the rug yeah. it's you know it's not really like oh I think okay the thing that's always missing from like a lot of those articles not necessarily when it's the like the the occrp the like the the what does that sound for like corruption criminal corruption and stuff it's like a, a investigative journalist outlet uh, um but usually when that story gets broken there and then gets like reprinted in a handful of other publications what is usually missing is like the context paragraph. You always see that in a lot of articles uh, um, to be like, in case you haven't paid attention to Israel-Palestine before or UK, like Ukraine and Russia or whatever, or Northern Ireland or whatever, they'll always put in that little context paragraph and that always seems to be missing from like every scandal time back to Azerbaijani lobby and also like the Turkish lobby in Washington, D.C. is huge as well. And it's never just like, you'll get this like, this little tidbit of like, Two MPs have been done for bribing with Azerbaijan, and they'll never mention that like a similar story came out a year ago or two years ago, and there is like a consistent pattern of this. It's always in isolation, isn't like, ooh, this is a weird whoopsie doo. Yeah, yeah. I, I think also something interesting you mentioned about Turkey too, as well. Um, in Washington D.C., I remember mm-hmm. like back in like the mid 2010s or something, there was there was a protest outside because I think uh, maybe it was Erdogan that was there, but. There were like his bodyguards who were in the street and they were literally beating up these protests. Yeah, 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 videos yeah, yeah. Of it, yeah. And nothing happened. The Turkey, nothing. Turkey's lobby in the United States is so weird. The the one that I had to send it to you again recently because I was like, this is a this is a Nick story. Is the like, I think it was two thousand six, two thousand eight, when like the Turkish government hired a flash mob to perform. To in de- New- yeah, to deny the Armenian genocide. Yeah, in New York. Um, and it's like it's it's you look at the faces of the smiling American twenty somethings who have to go to like an improv class after that, and you're just like, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> like yeah. you have no idea. Yeah, they were like they were on the island that the Statue of Liberty is built on, and they yeah. were like doing like a choreographed dance, and then above it there's like a Turkish flag like on like a plane flying by or something, the, and it was sky, like yeah, the skywriter wrote uh, Armenian yeah. geno lie or something. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. That. It was insane. <laughs> I think there was like there was even some like fairly innocuous stuff which it was just like like visit truthaboutturkey.com and it was like i guess sure maybe if i remember to do that when i get home and then if you ever did it was just like and here's why armenians are all liars and you're like oh okay i i lived <laughs> with all right i lived with the dude all right complete uh, uh berlin story here all right um i lived with the guy for 5 days mm. who um i then i moved out because he had i knew like he spent my my security deposit on coke and i was like i'm out I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm leaving. This is a horrible <laughs> idea. <laughs> He's like, oh yeah, I need this much for my security Greatest deposit. In the world. And I'm just like, that's a very low amount for a security deposit. And then I was like, can I have my security deposit back? He's like, I don't have it anymore. I'm like, he said he spent it on Coke. Like I, I moved in for five days. Um, and then like, 
we still followed each other on 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 Facebook or whatever. He wasn't like a like a bad guy or whatever. I just got a weird vibe. And then like he just would not stop posting this website. Oh right, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which was then I was like, all right, I'm uh, I'm unfriending you now. Yeah. But would he like just obsessed about? I mean, like he was a Turkish German dude, mm. obsessed about Armenian genocide denial. <laughs> and I went on the website. I'm like, oh, you know. I'm curious as a, you know, as a... As all, they always have, like, the most innocent title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys. And it's like, oh, yeah, here's the truth on it. Da, 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 da. And then you're all like, oh, like, if I knew nothing about this, sure, fine. Like, I mean, that's the thing is that then it's like the Turkey, like, the, the money that then goes into these websites that are, like, all in like really well done all in english this all and that for all yeah. professionally done and it's like yeah if i knew nothing yeah if my family didn't leave yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. the former ottoman empire <laughs> this would look really like convincing to me you know and it is like i mean yeah i think that there is a bit of that that then plays to it too of that then it's like not saying that then turkey and azerbaijan are the same state but it's like the marketing is like you know it's there you know they got the money to like i mean if you're a petrol state you know, imagine yeah. the money that you got to, to, to uh, you know, genocide denial level of, 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 of marketing or human rights violation denial level of marketing. It's 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 pretty good. Yeah. You I, know? I mean, uh, I think the interesting thing about like the turkey lobby machine and all the money that gets spent on genocide denials. I mean, if you look at the state of Turkey today where it's like, I mean, people can't even afford to like go grocery shopping in some yeah, instances yeah. and things like that. Like I've talked to Turkish friends who, you know, back there, it's like, it's just really bad. And uh, you think about it. Wait, so this country's spending literally okay. like millions <laughs> and millions of dollars on trying oh, like, to deny a history and like people are in the street. And then you see like, you know, Erdogan like riding by in a bus and he's tossing tea out of oh, like the door. Video. Like, oh, you know, God, it's yeah. just like, like what? Are you kidding me? Like, this yeah. is crazy, you know? Sir, like, literally, that's what happened to probably Edwin's son-in-law, is just like, we could fix all of the earthquake damage if we just take the money from the genocide denial budget, say the genocide happened, and we could just fix the whole region. It's like, no, get out. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> like, and he hasn't been seen since. Yeah, yeah. He, he was like economic minister for like, I don't know how he was, long. He was, like, the head of the, he was yeah. the head of the central bank. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, was, that's a, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Last, but, no, to be fair, last seen in a Turkish restaurant in London. But yeah. That was like a year ago now. But anyways, I you know I also want to get back to the point about yes. um, you know, uh, like Turkey and Azerbaijan's relationship. Uh, I mean, so I mean, there there was this you know speech that Erdogan gave in the summer right before the Second War, where you know he mentioned uh, you know we will continue the. Uh, mission of our forefathers mm. in the Caucasus. Yeah, and to like any normal outsider, you think, I yeah, I don't know. Like Fluff. maybe he means like I don't know some sort of economic plan. I, I yeah. have no idea. It's, it's it, so- it sounds innocuous, yeah. right? I mean, to our means, this specifically meant like okay, this means more genocide. You know, so. We didn't do it, but we're going to keep doing it. We're going to keep doing it. I mean, this is why you have genocide scholars who say, like, the last, you know, phase or last stage of genocide is genocide denial. You know, like, you're not out of it yet. You're still in that, like, mode of genocide. So, um, yeah, the thing that was, I mean, interesting about 
so there, I mean, there's that statement. And then when the war happens, you had, you know, uh, I mean, the, the drones proved to be very effective against the Armenians. Well, when, you know, the war between Russia and Ukraine started, I mean, guess what videos, you know, Bayraktar used to sell Bayraktars to Ukraine? Well, right. videos of these drones killing Armenians. Even, you know? uh, what's her name? Ulrika... Uh, uh, Ulrika Franke. Franke, who's this like insane uh, uh, um, defense academic lobbyist, talking head, talking head yeah, yeah. Uh, like is obsessed with drones. Like that is her 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 beat is Europe needs more drones, baby. This thing that then is literally just to create nonstop terror, but yeah. doesn't actually have any more of a like. Uh, uh, usage other than that is that then it's like yeah we can kill your family from you know 40,000 feet up in the air and also gets to play into that myth of like we can fully like automate war yeah 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 but in reality it's like it just I mean like the reality of the problem with drones is that they're they're like in terms of strategic things they do nothing for you but just create constant terror and she uses the example of look at how successful these drones were that are that Azerbaijan used um completely missing the second part of yeah. of of that of you know why they were used who they were used on this and that and that and yeah it was yeah. a complete marketing thing for the for the year I mean, she's speaking at the munich security conference as well yeah uh, I mean, coming up in i think that's next month yeah i mean all this got a lot of pr to the point where there was even an article in the new yorker talking about like it was basically a profile piece on Bayraktar. Yeah. I also mean, like, related I, to Erdogan and as yeah, well. It, yeah, and I mean, now, like, he, like, married into the... Yeah, he married yeah, into the family. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But, I mean, to see that as an Armenian, like, to just not even question, like... So, you know, these drones literally killed tons of people, you know... But they're the, cheap. And it's, and it's just, like... But, like, but that's the thing. It's, like, it's just such a liberal press sort of thing. It's, like... To show this, like, um, to do a profile piece on a guy who manufactured these machines that went and basically, you know, killed a bunch of young Armenian boys. Like, we're talking yeah. literally, like, yeah. 18 to 20-year-old kids mm. who had to, you know, fight against, you know, defend their, defend their land, basically. Yeah. And, you know, this doesn't factor into any sort of thinking about, is this a good piece to publish? Is this, might this be a little insensitive? Like that does not, for some reason, that just does not factor into the thinking of like you know the editorial part of like you know New York, the New Yorker, and yeah. I mean that was something where I just found like this is this is ridiculous. Like, um, what kind of reality am I living in here? You know? Yeah, I mean that was I mean cool. yeah okay now now congratulations now the United States or whoever buys the Bayraktar systems can now attack a wedding for like half price now compared to what they used to be able to attack a Pakistani wedding like I yeah. mean yeah I mean it really is every every ounce of all this is just so I mean I, you know we 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 can step aside from the defense thing but yeah I mean there really is just like this obsession with um you know, trying to then remove the brutality of war and the brutality of all this stuff in the sense of, well, the drone allows us to become, you know, like I, I can, I can, you know, be in like, you know, Nevada in a strip mall and I can, you know, pick targets or whatever. Um, there's a, you know, there is a, a, a massive problem with the West's depend, not even just dependency, but obsession with this method of conflict. And it is, it is very interesting how then that like, because this has come up as well with the Gaza, uh, um, you know, the the, the 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 genocide in Gaza as well, has been that then the sense of how the West loves using then these, I mean, 
the, the best thing for the West was that the, no one was caring about, you know, Armenia and Azerbaijan and whatnot, and that then it is a playground for then testing of technologies and whatnot. Yeah. And that was one that then really struck me as insane of, of, of yeah, exactly. Reading in multiple publications in multiple languages of this is the coolest system ever because look at how it murdered a bunch of armenians like don't you want that like don't you yeah. don't yeah, i mean i mean that was that was lit- literally the subtext of the yeah. article yeah you yeah. know and even if they didn't overtly state it and it to me it's just like that is that's so dystopian you know i mean mm-hmm. especially for someone like me to to see this you know and and then not only that but people say you know, get all ginned up about, you know, the Russia-Ukraine war and be like, oh, man, this thing's going to kill so many Russians. And I'm just like, what kind of dystopia is this? You know, like this is yeah disgusting. We, we are now starting to see, though, that like drones, when we use it, cool and good. Drones, when, say, for example, the Houthis use it, that's bad. Don't do not do that. <laughs> um, so it is kind of, yeah. I, I guess for a period of time, like particularly like, the New York Times obsession with it, I, I feel like is very like the Obama era kind of love story with drones of like precision targeting, like our boys don't have to come back in boxes kind of thing. We've we found a way to do war. And I think one of the things that's like a chicken coming home to roost is for a while it was having drones was the privilege of rich countries, basically. And the people that where they were being attacked were like poor and couldn't afford to have their own drones and only now are we starting to see like the other side huge drones and like oh wait this sucks when it's actually being used against us um yeah it's it's very gross yeah and i i think what like what also compounds the uh compounds it all is just i mean armenia is a small country Hmm. uh less than 3 million people, less than the number of people in Berlin. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the Armenian diaspora, I think is like somewhere around like eight or 9 million. Yeah. And, you know, there were 3000 casualties in the second war. And most of these were kids. And I mean, young, you know, young, I, I, I say young boys relatively like, you know, 18 the, to the 20 years old region, usually. Basically. But yeah, I mean, and, and that doesn't even count the number of boys who came back with like, okay, they had to get you know leg amputated, yeah. they can't use their arm anymore, um, and so I mean the economic impact of this long term on such a small country, I mean it's going to be felt for a very long time, mm-hmm. because you just have people that can't work like they used to, and I mean again like you said like these are the f- you know these are technically like these people are the future of the country mm. and. You know, and so when I see like just that there's no sensitivity around this at all. Yeah. Um, or just no I mean, coverage really, a lot of I mean, like the, yeah, the fact of that, that it's just, I mean, up until um, pretty much the, the press release of Azerbaijani victory was just released throughout everywhere, un- uncritically, you know, too, just a complete like, oh, well, you know, that's over. All right. You know, great. I mean, but which, yeah, the, and even I want to talk about this, too, mm. because something that a lot was going through European press a lot was this discussion of, okay, you know, Azerbaijan, they, you know, they, they, they won, you know, they, they needed this win. This will make <laughs> things, this will make things all better. Like they're basically their lust for war yeah. will cease. And I was just, I was sitting there and I was, I, was, I remember reading this and hearing this and I was just like, 
what planet do you people live on? Yeah. Like, absolutely not. Like, no, 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 it's fine. Europe, 1914. The Chancellor <laughs> like, of Germany just right. wants the Sudetenland. Once he has that, it will all be yeah. fine. <laughs> I mean, it really, it really <laughs> is. We we literally end up at the same argument of the like of, of fucking World War One. We've talked about this now for I think four episodes in a, in, in a row now of just Europeans love violence and they're like if we just fucking get this out of my system, I'll never want to kill again. Trust me. Oh yeah, Ge- then, geopolitics I mean, is punching a drywall basically. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean yeah, it's uh, like it it just it just blows my mind uh, and that there's just absolutely no kind of second thoughts about statements like this. And then when hostilities do start again, it's like, yeah, well, you know, the, uh, both sides just need to get back to the, you know, negotiation table. And it's like, are you fucking mad? Like, what are you talking about? Like, this is literally going to continue on. And to the point where it's like, Armenians are like, okay, we're like, we're just being gaslighted yeah. the whole time. Like, yeah. And, uh, the, uh, yeah. Kind of a thing that then I also wanted to ask then as well, too, is that then because we, we, we touched on the sense how our Azerbaijan, you know, gas partner of Europe, you know, Turkey's best friend. Um, Armenia is in a odder scenario because their best friend, if you would call it, or the only country who, like, I mean, you mentioned the Russian peacekeepers who, like, came by, and we can very much use peacekeepers in, I think, quotations because they were, like, Armenia has a decent relationship with Russia, not the best. I mean, they, they have a, you know, what's called like a military defense pact. Yeah. Um, They're also part of the CIS, I believe. And, but like no one takes that seriously. Yeah. Although I can't remember if like the Armenia actually exited it. Uh, There's been some like kind of movements um, that like are moves that like, you know, the uh, Armenian government has made, like they wanted to implement the, uh, I think it's like the Rome statute, which like yeah. says like, okay, if Putin is in that country, then they are legally obligated to arrest him and things like that. Um, but I mean, these things like take time to like ratify. Uh, but no, they, I mean, Russia and Armenia, they do have a military defense pact uh, where Russia says it will come to the aid of Armenia if Armenian proper is attacked. Mm. Uh, now that does not include the region Artsakh. Um, so yeah, the thing is, uh, I mean, Armenian sovereign territory has been, you know, attacked. Has Russia done anything? No, no, they yeah. haven't. They, uh, they're doing something else at the moment, it seems. Yeah. And, and I mean, tell you what. and I mean, the, the, the impression is that, you know, there's just, it doesn't feel like, you know, I mean, Armenia is essentially isolated, um, mm. You know, you have basically borders on both sides of the country, you know, Turkey and Azerbaijan. Those are blocked. Um, There's one tiny corridor to the south of Armenia that Mm. connects it to Iran, uh, which becomes all the more important because, you know, you don't have like those like east-west, you know, transit because the borders are closed. Uh, And then you have the border north to Georgia. And Georgia's relations with Armenia are, I would say, tepid at best, mm. you know, so uh, that means that, you know, this throughway down to the south to Iran becomes increasingly vital. And this is also an area that is now uh, under threat, uh, you know, and I mean, it's it's something where, you know, I mean, Turkey and Azerbaijan, it's, you know, fairly regularly that they host these joint military exercises 
Um, and there's this feeling that this southernmost province in Armenia, which is called Siunik, uh, that that will be kind of this new contested area. And the reason why is because Azerbaijan calls that area, well, they they call the region that is just to the east of that, they call that uh, East Zangazur. Mm. And by implication, that means that, well, what's west of it is West Zangazur, which is okay. Sunik. So, and what that would do, if, if Azerbaijan were to take that, then that would mean that Armenia would be basically blocked on three sides of the country. Only the northern border with Georgia would be open. That's right. it. You know, and so... There's that, and uh, there's more stuff about like this. There's this recent, uh, you know, spat about uh, these, like Azerbaijani or former Azerbaijani towns or villages or like what they call like I guess I guess they'd be enclaves, like you know, within Armenian sovereign territory, and that they they want them back. Uh, these are also strategically located alongside like major throughways, you know, north and south, and and so, you know, if Azerbaijan takes that, they can just do what they did with the, you know, during the blockade, set up a checkpoint and then basically just not allow any traffic to go through there. And then bit by bit, you know, they just chip away at Armenian sovereign territory. Right. You know, so. The, um, just want to talk about the blockade because we did talk about the beginning, but I'm very, there was stuff that you've mentioned in your notes that I do want to come back to because again a lot of this discussion is going to be like i haven't heard of this before the only way you seem to be able to find out about any of this stuff is to like be armenian follow like one kind of like armenian journalist account that kind of thing i mean like i've done that now and that's the only time i've heard about like for example the armenian court are basically being shut down in east jerusalem like there's these ongoing things that are just like not covered at all but moving away from that I'd like to talk about the, the, the fact that you kind of mentioned in the notes and on the episode that, like, the blockade for the longest time was, like, denied by Azerbaijan, that they claimed it wasn't happening, and it took, like, someone at the UN or someone involved in the UN to basically call them out, and... Yeah, I mean, uh, basically what happened was, um, you know, there would be this, like, back and forth on Twitter where, mm. I mean, you know, Armenians knew people that were living in the region, that yeah. were living in Artsakh, and they would speak to them. They they knew that like okay, there's there's, there's clearly what, a blockade. Eight happening. million Armenians like in the whole world, right? You yeah. said or like was that like or eight million in the diaspora? In the diaspora, yeah. So what, that's what twelve million altogether. That's a, that's not a lot of people. Like I mean, not not a lot of people. No, I mean, yeah. like you're gonna know you're gonna know someone. Yeah. Or someone you know is gonna know someone. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, you can even see it on like I you know uh, like sent some like you know Instagram profiles where. Hmm. Um, you can see over the course of the blockade that people were becoming more and more emaciated in the face, mm. you know, like they're, and, I mean, it's clear, you know, yeah. you see it. Um, but you had, you know, people who were hanging out at the, you know, Azerbaijanis hanging out at, like at the like blockade, uh, and, you know, they were saying, oh, no, this is all fake. Like, look, like, see, like, there's a truck going through and stuff like that. And, you know, they would try to, 
the thing is, though, there were like literally hundreds of tons of goods passing through every day. Hmm. Now you show a picture of like, oh, look, a truck's going through. That's like how much? Like I, like it's yeah. not a lot, truck right? Day. It's I'm, I mean, you're you're talking about like you're starving a population of hmm. one hundred twenty thousand people. Uh, so I mean, you know, Armenians would say like, no, this is ridiculous. Like you clearly are doing this. Like you know, we have the receipts more or less, hmm. and. Um, Azerbaijanis would deny it. They started this uh, social media campaign where they were showing like they would basically go to like these social media pages like Instagram and show these like lavish festivities. Uh, but they would crop out the date. They would leave out certain details of like where it was. And they'd see like, no, no, look, see, like we've been, which is weird because, okay, A, you're literally spying on people like, you know, through Instagram B, you're literally like falsifying this stuff. And it's it's just like this stuff is like it's showing like weddings. It's showing, you know, these like uh, get togethers, like birthdays. And you're using this as like evidence that like, hey, these people aren't blockaded, even though like the time periods of when these videos were taken were like from earlier, obviously. Yeah. And it's it's Armenians just like can't be starving. They're having birthdays, yeah. guys. <laughs> you you would never have a birthday if you were if you weren't feeling well. Like yeah, yeah. And, and, and yeah. And this was another thing too. Is like there there were still like life was still going on there. You know, yeah, it's yeah, not I mean, like it's it's like oh okay, you know, we're living under blockade. Okay, well let's just postpone the wedding. Like no, like, yeah, you're yeah, not gonna yeah. Do that. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's such a commonality that we see in the sense of like it is something that then Europe loves fetishizing in the sense of when they do like genocide research, like particularly like concerning like the Holocaust, you know, it's like how did these populations still live under the threat of fascism with the sense of like the threat of extermination, you know, like there's all these like accounts of like, you know, people living in like, you know, the, the ghettos and the how, how like these very beautiful accounts of people living in the worst, you know, imaginable occupations and you know, trying to keep alive their cultures under, it's like, it's like, of course people are going to do that. You know, of course, and then like people are going to like, you know, try to preserve what they can when they're being threatened in that entire existence of their cultural yeah. identity, you know, like there, there's also this like, not that the, 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 the pictures weren't stolen of like that, like that is insane, but I like, yeah, but God I mean, forbid they, yeah. you know, they try to, you know, celebrate something while being under, you know, blockade, occupation, whatever, you know, it may be, because that is a human reaction. And, and, and I mean, it's not to say that, like, you know, there weren't uh, like some families that had stockpiles of, I don't know, like rice yeah. or grain or, or the oil. Farming was like, good enough. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But, but I mean, the thing is, like the subsistence farming, even to get to that. So, I mean, it, you know, uh like it led to situations where like, I mean, I heard secondhand that, you know, uh, like the Armenians would have to work together and be like, okay, well I grow this, like you grow that. And they yeah. have to like basically just kind of figure out how to make it work in the meantime. But I mean, there would be days where it's like a kid would be like, I'm lucky to have a potato to eat, yeah, you know, for the whole day. But this is also like why subsistence farming is not practiced on mass anymore. It is, to supplement a like a diet that is mostly uh, uh, mostly supplied by like regular supply chains going to a shop and having things delivered it's not 
it should not and exist to feed a population. Yeah, and I mean, like they they couldn't just automatically adjust within the span of I don't know, like what a month, mm. and like figure out how to get all their daily needs fulfilled. Like absolutely not. And you know, they can't the subsistence farm like paracetamol. Like and yeah, like, <laughs> and I mean, you can even see like there's uh, I mean, tons of photos and videos of like just literally hundreds of people waiting outside early in the morning before the bakeries open. Yeah. And they're waiting, and they're saying like, well, "We hope we can get like a loaf of bread yeah, for our yeah. family." You know, yeah. it's. I mean, it's. It's just like, how can you deny that there's a blockade happening? But, anyways, what? So, you know, this story kept going on and on and on, and, I mean, one of the things that was shocking was just how few international like publications wanted to touch this. Like that was something that to me was like, do you not see that this is happening? Like what's like this is it's clear. Like, I mean, for Armenians, it was, it was very clear. Like this is yeah. this is what is happening. This is what's going on. And it felt like no one wanted to touch it. Um, I mean, there were journalists on the ground who were there who did you know cover it and they talked about it. Um, but I mean, I don't like the New York Times wasn't there it's, you know like you know think it's it's just it's i have to wonder like yeah, why is that that's you know? fair like it, like to me it's always seemed very bizarre like so like the two countries that we talk about in relation to this we have talked about is like turkey and azerbaijan and turkey turkey's bullshit always makes sense to me like what turkey's doing in northern syria what turkey does to the kurds always makes sense because they're basically the second most important member of nato they have the highest, the the second highest military in NATO, strategic position in terms of the Middle East and formerly the USSR. They like they were allowed and always will be allowed as long as they're a member of NATO to get away with all sorts of shite. However, that never really explained Azerbaijan and the Petro State stuff explains a little bit of it. But like my understanding is at least before uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine is that like Azerbaijan wasn't necessarily like super important to the Western supply chain of of gas like southern europe mostly got it from and still gets it from north africa uh central europe got it from russia and now we're getting it from azerbaijan and we have these very unfortunate photos of ursula von der Leyen being like we don't support dictatorships here's a photo of me with aliyev and the exact same fucking tweet and like azerbaijan like the silence and the amount of shit that azerbaijan was able to get away with always did like make me wonder it was always kind of baffling to me and i guess it is it's a very kind of if someone has a better explanation i'd love to hear it because it feels very lackluster that like it's just the petro state lobbying money but like i i mean i th- i think it's uh you know one point that i think is also important to remember too mm-hmm. about azerbaijan you know this this gas deal is that the whole impetus behind it the whole reason behind it mm-hmm. was to wean the eu off of russian gas as a response to the war in ukraine yeah um but it's been shown that well azerbaijan is also repackaging russian oil and <laughs> so is sending India. it to, <laughs> sending yeah, yeah, yeah. to yeah. the eu you just basically cut in another middleman, middleman. like yeah. it's mm-hmm. i know, can tell you know i can tell when my azerbaijani gas is cut <laughs> with russian gas though all right just like turning on the radiators yeah. like <laughs> yeah just it's like some, know, something's a little off here yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But it, it is um, because I guess the other like because there is such there's such little 
they're there to justify it because you're right like why aren't more people talking about it because you have the only other two explanations i can kind of come to which is probably lack of journalists on the ground um we like talked about it off mic but we see now with probably currently what's happening in sudan and historically what happened with the syrian civil war of like western outlets are very ill-equipped to talk about conflicts when they don't have people on the ground and it didn't seeing with gaza yeah. too yeah we wouldn't why like, al jazeera yeah. is like one of the exactly. best like um yeah but then but my second point is the weird thing that i always saw with very like pro-ukraine online types uh the the like the nafo people who like get into this a little too much uh when they try to become like influencers online which a lot of them have become they always have to have an opinion on everything and their explanation when like from the very particular evil branch of the nafo wing is like armenia deserves it because they sided with russia um it's basically and that is their explanation and i'm just like well like i can totally imagine a lot of liberal press not saying it so egregiously but maybe some of them believe that in their like at the back of it like you weren't as eager about supporting ukraine as you should have been whatever like whether that's real or not it's just something they're feeling that's the that's like my least favorite explanation, but it's the only other one I can kind of like. There were attempts from like bigger media sources when the Ukraine war started to like throw Armenia under the bus. Yeah, like that yeah. did happen. I it remember, wasn't like it wasn't like I mean it, yeah. it, it didn't last because it's stupid. Very when early you, in March, there yeah. was like that f- yeah, photo that went around online of like a Russian flag, clearly photoshopped, draped over a bridge in Yerevan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, even uh, there were two people on the ground who like went to that bridge like that day yeah. and were like, no, this is clearly bullshit. The, yeah, no, yeah. the Russian flag was bigger. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, there's also um, this article, uh, funnily enough, posted, I think it was in the New York Times, where it was talking about how, uh, I think it was that Armenia is aiding the Russian war effort with like a certain type of like, I think iPhones or something like that. Some type of chip where they were saying like, well, this this helps with like you know, uh, so like guided missiles yeah, or yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. I and I have a vague memory of this, but yes, they were yeah. trying to they were trying to like connect the the Pepe Silvia dots of. Yeah. <laughs> and and I was just thinking like that. There's a whole article about this, but I'm there's a whole lot of other shenanigans going on. But you choose to focus on this like one small country, which, I mean, doesn't even have the capacity to really even make a huge mark. In yeah. like this huge, huge war that is happening elsewhere, like to me, it just I found it very, very curious. Especially since, like, I mean, the New York Times, like any coverage of Armenia up to that point, it, like there, it just there wasn't anything there. No. You know, it's and it's just like so you pick and choose like all this stuff to like just be like, I mean, I would say like very anti-Armenian in a way. You know, um, and yeah. it's yeah, I don't know. Again, very, very curious, very strange. And I think like a lot of Armenian, like, journalism about Armenia, I should say not Armenian journalism, but, like, journalism about Armenian politics was always very lazy. I remember there was, like, one kind of, like, unseating of a prime minister there a couple of years ago, and, like, the entirety of Armenian politics just got labeled in this, in the, like, very lazy terms of pro-Russian, pro-West. And that is the entirety of Armenian politics. You have to be one or the other. Uh, there can't be there can't be internal issues. Same with what we saw um, 
with like how a lot of Ukrainian politics got discussed until like being invaded forced a bunch of people in like America to have a conscience about like how lazily they were reporting about Ukraine. Uh, which well, didn't happen with Armenia. Apparently. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is the phenomenon that then I just always, um, I mean, and it comes up more and more uh, with, I mean, I, again, we're talking about something completely different, but it's like the German position to Gaza is always a really funny one because it's like everyone has agency in European and Western politics if they agree with me. Once they don't agree with me, well, then your agency doesn't fucking matter. You know, it's just like, well, yeah, France or Germany or the United States or or, or Poland, for that matter. Well, they, they can have complex problems and complex politics because they're complex Western countries. But, yeah, God forbid Armenia or, you know, Syria yeah. or Gaza or you know Palestine in general have complex politics because you know they're you know the caucuses or the middle east you know those are simpler folk you know it's yeah. either you know like you uh you either you do or you don't there's no uh you know and this this it's the oddest thing of that that it's like if there's not a more false statement of regions that have more complex politics than yeah. the west it is all these regions you I, know it I, is regions that have been affected by yeah western imperialism and stuff like that you know i mean yeah yeah i mean armenia yeah, it gets, gets brushed under of just, oh, you know, they're a Russian asset because, you know, they have one ally, more or less. Yeah. And then the, the the state of, you know, the state, the city of Los Angeles. Like, I, yeah. I, I mean, this this is why, like, whenever I see, you know, like, media, like, post this stuff, and then if I go back through their past coverage and I see, like, okay, what did they write about, like, the war? Or, like, what kind of framing did they put? And then I see this, like, typical both sides stuff, and that that tells me that's a dead giveaway for, like, Okay, you didn't have anyone in the region. Yeah. You had no one who was on the ground. And also, you don't know anything. Like you you're you're showing me you don't know anything. Yo, that yeah. So why do I care? Copy you know? and paste is a really hard thing of army of as of Azerbaijani press releases to do. Yeah. So uh But like I, I, I do kind of think like the, the, the kind of like fucking office space kind of like dumb explanation of a lot of this and there's a huge problem with journalism in general is it's such journalism became such a frock career that at no point can you whenever you're given an article you cannot say oh i don't know shit about that you always as a journalist have to say yes i can write about that or whatever you always have to have an opinion on anything unlike which is why you know this podcast is good because i don't know anything about this which is why i brought hopes up here <laughs> yeah. i i mean i i you know i read a book uh about like the lebanese civil war that was mm. written by a journalist and uh i mean if i were to compare like just the amount of detail put into that book versus like what i see you know that surfaced like from the recent war uh I mean, it's just, it's, it's no contest. Like, yeah. it's, it's just like, there, there's just not that attention to detail anymore. And like, why I say, like when people resort to this both sides sort of, you know, uh, like statement about the war, I mean, it just tells me it's like, okay, you've kept a cold distance to it and you're not willing to like really sort out the details, you know, of like, you're not really, you're not willing to get into the nitty gritty of it yeah. to like have an informed opinion about it. And so at that point, it's like, yeah, again, it's like, why do, so why should I care what you think? You, no, you've, so, you've shown yeah. me, like, you have kept it at an arm's length. You've shown me that you don't want to get involved or even, like, think about it, you yeah. know? And so you just use this casual, very, you know, supposedly, like, I mean, quote, neutral statement uh, about it. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's just, 
it's very frustrating. I mean, during the war, I mean, I had conversations with friends because I kind of became like the resident Armenian that like, you know, like all these like people here like didn't know any other Armenian person. So they asked me about it and I would tell them like, look, like this is what I know. And me on the other hand, I slid slid into Kim Kardashian's DMs trying to figure it out and it didn't work. So I'm glad that I'm glad that I'm glad that there are people nearby you that that you could help. I mean, yeah, Uh, but, but. I mean, there were times where it's just like, yeah, well, you know, but like I read this news and it said like, you know, the conflict erupted. I was like, no, Azerbaijan started this war. Yeah, yeah, but it's not saying anywhere that Azerbaijan started it. Yeah. I'm like, so wait, you're saying like Armenia would launch an offensive in order to defend its territory? Like, I don't understand. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. And also, (laughs) like, there's even there's even video. There's even video of a guy a reporter from Azerbaijan, as the fighting started, he was there on the ground. He reported it first. And it's like, clearly this was organized by the state to be like, okay, we're going to have like this person on the ground first. And they're going to say, oh, the Armenians started it. Armenians didn't have anyone on the ground because they didn't know when it was going to happen. But this is also something that's like also, I mean, when it comes to like the Caucasus region, um, there's... There's this feeling I think that like a lot of Armenians have that there are these like bigger powers who are kind of pulling the strings and they have this like kind of region like kind of organized in a way where it's like there are kind of these backroom discussions happening that's normal average everyday people aren't privy to. And so before the war started there was an alert put on the uh, U.S. Secretary of State's website. If you're in this region, like, leave. Don't mm-hmm. travel there. You know, there was, like, a travel advisory, basically. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, like, there's obviously things that, you know, states know about. And when I think of, like, okay, so these states, like, have the power, or they, they know that this is happening. They technically have a power, have the power to put a stop to it. But they just choose not to. Yeah. You know, and the question is like, well, why? Why the United States wouldn't stop a war? I don't know. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's beyond me. I know, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, it really, and it really can, uh, like, that's actually a really I, interesting thing that I've, I've, I mean, because, like, you know, we've, we've, we've kind of viewed examples of this kind of, like, throughout history, you know, whatever. Like, this isn't just the only one of this that's like, oh, like, you know. Uh, the powers that be how did they know this and then so yeah i mean like there is like there is a lot of truth i think in the sense of 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 that but um like that's that's something incredibly interesting that then i never like like does that like create like a lot just on a completely different note does it like create like, like a lot of like conspiracy theories amongst like the armenian general population or like because like my very first reaction is like oh we're gonna end up on like anti-semitism very quickly <laughs> like the way <laughs> I, that that started well i i mean this is also something that azerbaijan has tried very very hard to do is to paint Armenia is an anti-Semitic country, uh, but I mean, right. back back to this. Yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll get to this like one incident that happened like recently that was uh, really really strange. Um, but I mean, to answer the first point, um, yeah, I would say, yeah, and no, I, I mean, I think I can't necessarily say why, and I don't know if this is necessarily like it has a lot to do with that, but. I think it's uh, part of it is like 
and again, this is coming from me. I can't speak for like a whole, you know, entire population of people in Armenia. Mm. Uh, I mean, I have friends there and like I've talked with them about this. Um, but I mean, I only hear like a fraction of like, you know, the kind of thoughts and things, uh, you know, that people are thinking there. Yeah. Um, but I think you have like on the one hand, like people I think are kind of paranoid about, you know, hate. like, I mean, could there be an attack tomorrow? I don't know. You know, people yeah. are still on edge. Uh, I think people also traumatized from what happened. And I think the combination of this, these things, it does lead your mind to wander. I think also there being a prime minister now where I, I mean, the majority I think of Armenians are pretty unhappy with him um, because yeah. he's just, he, I th- you know, he's he was a former journalist and now he's a politician. Now he's heading a state. And I just don't think he has the political wherewithal to defend the country. You that, know, that's, like that's, that's what that's, I've heard as well, that people are unhappy with, like how he's responded to all of this, basically. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's it's, um, uh, you know, there there's this whole revolution, you know, quote unquote revolution that happened. Um I mean, I think there was a, there's it a, there was a the Vel- is it the Velvet Revolution? The Velvet Revolution, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, I know enough about Armenia. Yeah, All right, yeah. good. Woo. I, I mean, the, <laughs> the the thing is, you know, I like I don't want to get too far into this because um, I feel like it, it is really just kind of an ancillary point. But uh, I mean, I remember at that time, like when he came into power, like there were a lot of people saying, like, oh, you know, this is this is like there's you know some sort of deal, and like there's some other things happening, and you know, there's some coordination with like. Russia, I'll bet, and you know that um, you know they want to see this guy. They want to like have like Armenians like um, you know, get excited about like you know, hey, we we're we're finally like starting to have like a real democracy. Mm. Um, on the other hand, I think some of them were like, okay, you know, there's this guy who's been put in the posi- in this position, but what are his credentials? Like, he doesn't have any you know experience in politics really. Yeah. Um, and at the same time. There, I think maybe like there's this thinking of if we get, have people's like hopes like set high like this and then we just like leave it crashing down, yeah. they're going to come back to, you know, like the former regime. They're going to like even be more beholden to like, let's say a country like Russia, because I mean, the former, you know, leaders of Armenia, they were on good terms with uh, Russia, you know, um, one of the former leaders, uh, Kocharyan, he was like buddies with Putin. Yeah. You yeah. know? Uh, so, I mean, th- again, this is all speculation. Like, it, it, and I cannot, you know, say, like, I can't put words in the mouths of, like, you know, a whole entire population of, like, Armenians in Armenia. I mean, I've talked with, like, a few, you know, who are specifically from Armenia who have more of kind of, like, an inside, you know, track into these sorts of things. But, uh, yeah, I mean, conspiracies like they they do exist they, they are yeah, everywhere yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I think like the caucasus is kind of like this um this region where i think people do feel like hey there's things happening at a higher level that we just don't know about it, it's you know? it's it's great power politics rather than yeah i mean like this is this is something that i've i remember this discussion uh particularly with the lead up to Ukraine of when like America was accusing Russia of about to invade and Putin was demanding 
that this be discussed between Putin and Biden. Biden was at the time, yeah. That like it it be discussion between um, America and Russia, and the the kind of like journalists uh, um, argument at the time against that was like, oh, you're ignoring Ukraine, you're leaving Ukraine out of this, and I'm like, I just kind of felt very Irish in that moment of just like welcome to the real world like unless you have like nukes this is how most countries feel about things going on like unless you're a part of the g8 or something like i i felt it i felt it very strongly when i moved from ireland to the uk or like to germany or like people kind of feel like the trajectory of their country is 100% within their control or the government of that country. Yeah, well, also in that moment, like I said earlier, Ukrainians magically got agency, like, overnight, very quickly. Like, yeah, they suddenly... beforehand, they didn't. Yeah, yeah, beforehand, yeah. they didn't have agency. Now, magically, they had maybe, like, everyone was a Ukraine expert, <laughs> like, yeah. overnight. <laughs> but, like, it, it's pretty normal for, like, a country of 3 million people, a country of 4 million people, like... You don't even have to have that much. Like, I'm sure, like, this... A lot of very populated African countries definitely feel this way. Like, where the politics of their, like, country, their state, their region is not really decided by them. Uh, yeah, that's why they all just left, uh, what is it, ECOWAS or whatever, the uh, the economic thing that France set up. There's yeah, like, I mean, like, yeah. we're not talking about, this, about, about, no, about, no, about no. the Sahel. We already did our episode and, yeah, on I'm, the... I'm, no, we didn't. Fran- yeah, we did on the French Franc, yeah. Oh, Forever ago, yeah. I mean, we talked about uh, Wagner as as well well, too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, like I, I I don't want to, you know, uh, give the impression that okay, like the average, you know, Armenian is, you know, like their head is filled with conspiracies. Oh no, 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 no. But like it is, but it is like, um, I mean, I, I, I would say like there, there is this kind of feeling of like, you know, well, there are higher powers at work here, and you know, we don't necessarily have as much of a say in our own actions and like the i think there is also this thinking of well if that's the case then maybe we should take things in their own hands you know and so like there what there have been these you know there have been protests in like recent years uh against you know Pashinyan who's mm-hmm. the prime minister and um his party um you know the thing is like there was a time where uh there there were snap elections and I think that was like the summer of 20 or maybe a little after the summer of 2021. Uh, I mean, the the people, you know, still voted in Pashinyan. Um, and, you know, so, I mean, that, w- that was seen as kind of like this rebuke against like the former regime. Hmm. Uh, I mean, the, the stories that I've heard from like, you know, Armenians who lived there at that time. Uh, I mean, there's... I mean, these were, you know, there's a story about like, okay, they they rolled in tanks and they they basically, you know, killed Armenians who were protesting. Um, there's also another story about, uh, like, in the center of Yerevan, um, this guy, like, said, you know, to uh, Robert Kocharyan, uh, he said, like, oh, hey, Rob, you know, kind of address him, like, this kind of informal way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then apparently, like, you know, uh, like Rob and his like entourage or Robert, I shouldn't say Rob. He did a, he did a, come find me. Exactly. He did but a Macron when Manu, someone called yeah, him Manu. Yeah, 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 exactly. Apparently like, you know, like Robert uh, told his entourage like, Hey, go find this guy. And you know, and basically the, this guy like went into the bathroom and then like 
you know, the entourage like came in and then just killed him, like in the middle of Yerevan. Hey, Macron did not do that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, like these these were these were the kind of it's like to give an idea of like you know, um, I mean, these were the kind of people who were in power before you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. so uh, but you know they did have good relations with Russia. Mm. And I mean, this is where you have to start thinking about, well, okay, realpolitik like dictates that, you know, Armenians should stick with, you know, their allies. But at the same time, if those allies are kind of leaving them hanging, then yeah, where is Armenia supposed to go? And then like the West is like, oh, you can like, you know, come like, you know, join us and like be happy and merry and all this stuff. It, but like, there's never any sort of concrete sort of, measures of hey or uh anything given mm. where it's like okay this is what you will get from us yeah when that is not on the table then it's like armenia is kind of stuck in this like you know in limbo yeah i know? was actually like like just very quickly uh so like the whole um this is a, this is a serious question it's gonna sound stupid coming out of my mouth so like the whole like putin new world order thing that he's been going around like um kind of marketing to africa especially like i think africa has become like the the continent where putin's like well you know what i'm not going to win over any more western countries even serbia doesn't like me Hmm. the new frontier for me and you know because china's been incredibly influential in africa with their um you know soft power economic you know uh uh, uh, development and whatnot and it's been very beneficial for them i know plenty of people who have been like yeah no uh, china built a railroad and it rips you know we're you know, Russia kind of can't really do the same. Um, you know, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Russia's strategy has always been very threadbare because, like, even with uh, uh, your guy Rob and before, it was just like that's the strategy he has with Belarus. The strategy he had with Ukraine before. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Are you reminded? I just need. I don't. I like all of Ukraine. All of Ukraine. All of Armenia can hate me. I just need the one. Guy I need the in one dude. Yeah, exactly. Who likes me? Yeah, yeah. And so, but like, so for even like now, in the sense of like, like, I mean. Uh, 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 where Armenia then currently is in the situation of like, you know, uh, after everything that then has happened, um, they're not really, it seems like at least from what I'm, from what you're telling me is that then they're not really hopping on board to like the new Putin kind of uh, uh, parallel hegemony that he's apparently trying to build. Um, That's like, not that then to say that then like their friendship with Russia's still existing you know i mean there's there's clearly a relationship regardless of if they're being left out to dry um but Azerbaijan seems I, but as exactly to, but 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 that's that, about it like yeah. it seems like that the relationship is at that there's not going to be like oh yeah no actually yeah vladimir putin your whole you know c- counter hegemony that sounds ripping awesome we're gonna we're gonna hop on board that's like armenia's not probably going to be there. A, a nation of I, Duganists. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I... Again, you're, it, 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 you it, are answering for all three million Armenians. Yeah. I know, no no pressure, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. no, no, no. I mean, but just just, just from, like, what, like, yeah. you know, your your own your personal take, opinion yeah. and take. I'm... You know, when the war broke out uh, in, um, you know, like, the, the Ukraine, like, Russia-Ukraine war broke out, um, I mean, there were protests you know, uh, in favor of Ukraine and Armenia. I mean, there have also been protests, you know, in favor of Russia. Uh, I mean, there's also been demonstrations held where, you know, Armenians gather uh, in front of, like, the uh, Opera Square, which is, like, this, you know, big area. Um, 
you know, saying like, you know, we, we stand like we're, we're pro like you, like, uh, like, you know, um, what's, uh, her name? Uh, she came to Armenia. I think it was, was, was it Nancy? Yeah. But I think it was Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. She was there. Um, this was like uh, during her, like, uh, I think shortly before she went to like Taiwan. Yeah. Yeah. The Joker mode. It was like, it was like around that time, but I mean, you, you had Armenians who were there who were like, keep her in the country because if she's in the country, like Azerbaijan's not going to attack us. I don't think Azerbaijan like, has enough Xanax like, to keep Nancy Pelosi <laughs> at bay and in the country. So yeah. <laughs> I, don't I, like, I like the idea of a nation state just strategically taking Nancy Pelosi hostage for their no, own but, self-defense. But, but I mean, I, I think the, the point in all this that I'm trying to make is that... Um, like Armenia is kind of in the middle and it's, it's looking for, I mean, it's looking for some country that it can like make inroads with who will also help bolster their security. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, that's it. And so, I mean, they're, they're ready and willing and you know, like looking at it. I mean, I don't know if it's like, it, it's a sort of feeling of desperation, but it's just, you know, I think uh, Armenians feel very much like they've been left alone. Yeah. Uh, or that, you know, in the case of like Azerbaijan, like it feels like Russia has chosen them to kind of be like, okay, you can, like they've kind of been anointed, like, okay, well, you know, we'll allow you to be like the hegemon in like, you know, the Caucasus region. You can make all the political decision making, but, you know, just, just don't do these like certain things or whatever, you, you know, or, or whatever. <laughs> Whereas keep 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 the genocide to a minimum. Yeah, I so I mean it's uh, I don't know. I I I think it's just it's it's really tough. It's a really tough situation because again, like this kind of isolation, uh, you know, has occurred. I think in large part because of like Turkey and Azerbaijan. Mm. You know, so um, I th- like yeah, it makes it tough. Yeah, because like I, I was gonna say like uh, um, I was gonna say like an advanced version of this politics, but it's not really advanced, but like a possible path Armenia can go down is like what clearly happens in Georgia where like the entire liberal population is fully aware of the great game politics and are just like waving EU flags. Just like Georgia in EU now, that is like, like it is, it is that is the thing that is going to, uh, um, you know, protect us against Russia, give us favor in things like South Ossetia and Abkhazia and things like that. And then, like, for me, I guess the reason why, or, like, my thought about why Armenia wouldn't just, like, fully lean into that is probably purely Turkey, being, like, this uh, member of NATO, the strategic partner of the EU that we have allowed to them to get away with so much bullshit in the past, like I said earlier. They literally control the north of Cyprus and we're yeah. fine was, with it. Yeah. Like, I, I, was, I was thinking about this earlier of like, what else has Turkey done? It's like, oh, they're occupying yeah. a country. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just straight yeah this is this, this is this is also something I mean if you look at like the the map and you you look at like okay in the last like decade who like which country surrounding Turkey has Turkey had like belligerent sort of like, you know, back and forth with like there was one time I was on a work trip to Athens mm-hmm. and when I was there, like Erdogan made a statement like, hey, we can fire a missile anytime and like hit Athens. Yeah. And I was just like, dude, I'm just here on like <laughs> with like a few work colleagues like 
No, he knows what you're the, there. No, yeah. no, no, but 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 it's like it's like I heard an Armenian is, landed just... here. Done. I've been monitoring <laughs> the Armenian levels of Greece, and we need to. I mean, they're getting too high. I mean, it's yeah. like the, it's the one mixed time... up. It's mixed up with all the like the the unpure Greek blood, but I see it. But it, I, I no, it, it's like the one time, the one time I'm in Athens, and it's just like. What the hell, man? Like, are you kidding me? This is crazy. Like, I mean, I mean, of course, I mean, you know, a logical person would be like, okay, there's no, there's no way that this would happen without like huge, huge recrimination from like you know entire NATO. But I mean, it was, it's, it's still just like I think a, a sign of like how Turkey approaches politics in this really, really aggressive way, yeah. and it's you know it's just a big bully. And like again, like yeah, like Northern Cyprus. Um, I mean, that history, I, I mean, it's funny. I, I've asked, like, you know, Turkish friends about this, like, what they think. They have a pretty particular, like, you know, sort of history that they, you know, dredge up. And I'm just like, that's that's not, like, you know, that's not what happened. Like, I'm sorry. You know, this is not the case. And, yeah, I... I I don't know. It, 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 again, I think a lot of like uh, this stuff that's uh, you know happening, especially like you know between like Armenia and Azerbaijan. I'm sure like also with like what's happening in like Cyprus and Northern Cyprus. It's like a question of okay, well, how is the history written? You know. Oh like, yeah, how, yeah, how do yeah. people perceive it all? Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the first part of this episode. I know that it was like uh, you know almost an hour and a half conversation that we had. Um, and just once more, a reminder that the second part of this uh, uh, episode will be available on Thursday. And um, Hosep did shout out at the end of the episode uh, a lot of journalists and such that uh, he felt were, were worth following. And I thought that I would, you know, just put them into this episode as well, too, so that then if you're only able to hear the first episode, you can then still, um, you know, know who to tap into. So um, these will all be available below in the a description and just wanted to you know quickly shout out uh, Tigran uh, Tigran Grigorian Karina Avidesan Lauren Bors of of people that he would say it as as go to analysts for the topic and some other journalists are uh, Siroshun Sar- Sargasian Marut Varian Lindsay Snell Rasmin Kanbeck Neil Hauer Jake Har- Harahan and Samson Matirasen. And uh, also, uh, he suggested the uh, a, a, a film called Ghosts of Karabakh by Jay Karahan. Ha- Hanran, sorry. I'm, ha- I am really bad at pronouncing Armenian last names. I am very sorry. Jake Hanrahan. Uh, I believe that would be Armenian. And so if I did, if you are happening to be one of these people and I did butcher your last name, I am so very sorry. Um, uh, uh, Josep uh, pronounces your name correctly in the second part of this episode and um, yeah so uh, tune in then on Thursday when we uh, have it out if you're not already a Patreon member uh, please join and we will see you then on Thursday take care